Good morning, defend and confirm, or good night, depending on where you are. Yeah, either one of those. Yeah. Welcome to the DC podcast. I'm Russell. I'm Sean. And, and we're uh, back. We're back. We have a a really fun episode planned. I yeah. think it's fun. A fun series? Yeah, we're going to do a series. And uh, this series is going to be on what I would say, and I think you'd agree with me, is the greatest threat mm. to the gospel worldwide worldwide yeah and you're not using overly dramatic language when you say worldwide you're not just kind of taking your experience here and your little bubble and extrapolating it out to the world yeah this is not like my pet peeve this is really and truly a dangerous heretical teaching that has been exported from america and is all around the world yeah and it is known as the prosperity gospel yeah prosperity gospel it goes by some other names sure word of faith theology uh or good old christian teaching yeah (laughs) the new apostolic reformation is another sort of way that you've heard this referred to yeah the prosperity gospel is no gospel at all right it's evil right it is uh heresy and we as Christians need to know what it is mm-hmm. and be capable of interacting with it and yeah. refuting it so yeah. that we can defend and confirm the true gospel. That's right. So a lot of what we, we talk about is threats to the gospel from outside of the church. The prosperity gospel is is a phenomenon that is a threat to the gospel uh, within the church. And um, and it's when you talk about it's it's global threat. I mean, when people talk about the rapid expansion of Christianity in the global South and Africa and South America, I can tell you as somebody who is a missionary uh, in South America that most of what we think is an expansion of Christianity is actually an expansion of the prosperity gospel. That's right. Uh, and we'll talk about later some of what that means for how we have to interact with that. But for today, we, we're just going to try to describe the prosperity gospel. Yes. And now you may be listening to this and think, wow, why don't you guys, you know, stop sugarcoating it? How do you really feel? <laughs> right. We, we're being intentional in saying from the outset, this is heresy, yeah. it is evil, and we need to confront it uh, so that we don't get you confused into thinking that we're just kind of picking on other Christians whose right. theology maybe doesn't line up perfectly with ours. Right. This is a different category. This isn't Calvinism versus Arminianism. Right. This isn't Presbyterianism versus Baptist polity. This is the gospel right. versus false gospels that will not save you and will lead you to hell. That's right. And this, that and that are more dangerous because they come in Christian garb. That's right. Yeah. So back to what you were saying, we're going to describe the prosperity gospel. Yeah, that's right. And not define it. Why wouldn't we want to define it? We're, we like to define things. We do like to define things. Sometimes to the great bore of our viewers, I mean, almost all of our uh, social justice series, which we basically wrapped up. Now we might come back to it later. Now let's define justice. Uh, yeah, right. And there are two Hebrew words. <laughs> uh, one comes from the root. No, okay. Uh, well, because it's incredibly difficult to define because it's not actually a theology, rather it's a mutt of heresies, uh, the Voltron of heresies, if you will. You know, you have this heresy, the word of faith, and, and some Gnosticism, and this, and they all kind of come together to form what you may see in a church down the road from you uh, as whatever you experience in that Sunday service. But it's not a clean-cut theology. Right. It's a, it's a collection of heresies and false doctrines. Yeah that can be grouped together in variant ways. Yeah. You can almost have a spectrum on the, if you talk about prosperity gospel, sort yeah. of true, like 
full bore prosperity and good old fashioned Kenneth Copeland. Right. Yeah. And Hagen. And then sure. you, on the other hand, you have sort of prosperity light, which borrows some of the heresy, mm-hmm. but maybe not all of it. That's right. Which uh, so, may be more dangerous. I agree. Yeah. So we, rather than trying to pigeonhole this thing, we're just going to broadly talk about the things that characterize yeah. the prosperity gospel generally. That's right. So these two things, anywhere where you see these two things, regardless of the language that's used, right? Or, you know, what other good things are said in, in accompaniment with it, wherever these two things are, there you have the prosperity gospel. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Which, by the way, means that you can have the prosperity gospel in a church with a solid statement of faith. Ooh. Yeah, but we'll come back to that. Okay. okay. Number one, uh, exalting the gift above the giver. Okay. And number two, a creator-creature inversion or a flattening out of the distinction between creature and creator. Okay. So let's un- let's unpack these. Yeah. Let's start with the first one. Exalting the gift above the giver. The gift above the giver. When you say gift, yeah, you're I, talking about all the good stuff yeah, in the world. Yeah. I'm talking about every good thing that has ever happened to us, that is happening to us, that ever will happen to us. Any good gift that God has given us. Would you say raindrops on roses? Good thing? I would. What about? Whiskers on kittens? Definitely. Okay. So... <laughs> These are, I feel like we did well there. <laughs> these are the blessings of God that he bestows on creation. Yeah. Most obviously things like food and shelter and clothing. Clothing. As in as Americans, though, things above and beyond that kind of the base level of our hierarchy of needs. Like an Audi. Sure. Or a mansion. Sure. Or uh, a nice private Christian school. Sure. Any of that. Whatever things that, the material things that the world might offer. That's right. Okay. Okay. So we might even say health, wealth, and happiness. Right. I just thought of that. Mm. Pretty pithy. Health, wealth, and happiness. Mm -hmm. So so these are good things. I want to back up. We're not saying that the enjoyment of these things or the appreciation of these gifts from God is inherently bad. Right. These are inherently good things. We're not Gnostics. They're we called gifts for a reason. Right. We don't believe the, the material world is all evil. That's right. We think these are good things that God has given us. That's right. So what's the problem? Uh, the problem is that uh, God gives us those good gifts to point back to himself so that he would be glorified. You know, you walk out after a long winter on a beautiful spring day, the sun hits you for the first time in months. You feel the vitamin D surging through your veins, right? And you're like, ah, oh, this is so good. And your first thing, you, thank you, God, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The gift should point you to glorify the giver. In the prosperity gospel, what you see is the gifts being the things that people pursue even at the expense of the giver. So God then becomes the means to an end. Yeah, that's right. I will praise God and I will trust in Christ so that I can get all this good stuff, which is my ultimate heart's desire. That's right. Uh, I've heard it described before that Jesus sort of becomes your sanctified ATM. You know, you put in your faith, you put in your whatever, you know, your good works. We're going to have an episode probably talking about the legalistic aspects of Word of Faith, Prosperity, Gospel, Theology. But whatever it is that you put in, then God puts out the blessings. Right. Uh, are there some terms and phrases and words that might sort of hint around this theology that that listeners might want to like have little alarm bells go off in their mind when they hear that from a preacher or a pastor? Uh, yeah, there's I mean, there's a whole bunch. So if you just believe, mm. right, uh, or you got to have faith or there's so a seed. So a seed. Ah, see, look, at you had it in your head. I didn't have it I'm fresh just, in my head. I'm just trying to set you up here. Uh, man, that was a softball and I swung in a miss. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah, uh, sow a seed of faith. Yeah, and so so the idea being that faith is something you do, mm-hmm. that you act on, yeah. that you kind of grab yourself by your own bootstraps and you muster up your faith and yeah. God rewards you through right. health, wealth, and happiness right. as a result. Right. God is essentially the genie. Yeah. And if you put in the right input, right. he'll give you the, the desired output. output. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, the problem with that is that, uh, faith is merely trusting in a promise, right? We're trusting that what God has communicated to us as people is true. And we're banking our, our everything on that. Right. Right. Um, and, and so when you, the prosperity gospel's definition of faith is, is very different from that because you're trusting in a promise that God hasn't made. Mm. Right. God has not promised us as his people, health, wealth, and happiness. He's promised us holiness mm-hmm. and he's promised us joy in his son forever. But, uh, that could be a path with almost no wealth, no health, uh, and full of suffering. That's right. Yeah. So we're going to get in a further episode. Yeah. We're going to do more theological. Please listen to the further episodes because we're yeah. going to unpack biblically how every one of these doctrines and, and false beliefs is wrong. Right. We're going to go through the scriptural arguments for, and we're going to take them apart. And if yeah. you have any interest in understanding how to refute some of this stuff, stay tuned. Yeah. But right now we just want to point out how can I identify it? Right. That's right. And that's number one. Yeah. So elevation when, of gift over giver. That's right. When you see, if you go into a church and what you hear from the preacher and when you get to know the people, and if you're in the small groups, if they have them, you just hear people talking about gifts and the things that God can give us more than they actually talk about God. And then when they do talk about God, they talk about him merely as if he's a means to those ends, right. you know that you're in a prosperity gospel church. Another sort of warning bell that I notice yeah. is how does that church talk about or interact with the concept of suffering? Is mm. suffering something that you can do to God's glory? Yeah. Is going, as your analogy, you know, the long winter is over and the sun comes out. Yeah. What do you do in that long winter? Yeah. Are you praising God in his sovereignty for, uh, you know, providentially allowing you to go without so that he might receive greater glory when he does bless you again. The prosperity gospel will tell you that suffering is not God's plan, that it's your fault and you just need more faith. And if you hear that kind of teaching or you don't hear any teaching about suffering, Mm. you probably need to run. Yeah. And if you do bring up suffering and their response, and by the way, I've experienced this firsthand. So Russell has never been a member of, no, that's maybe not entirely true, I, but I was deep in the prosperity gospel. And yeah. I, I can tell you as somebody who was the poster boy for the prosperity gospel, that if somebody would ever try to bring up poverty or sickness or any kind of suffering to me, I would rebuke them and remove myself from them. You, you used to sell prosperity on the streets. I did. I was a, a prosperity evangelist. Yeah. Yeah. I was a, I was a, supposed to be a hope dealer, but I was more like a nope dealer. And on that note, on that note, moving on on to the second characteristics, characteristic, uh, a creator creature inversion or a flattening out of the creator creature distinction. So we've, we've actually taught in this podcast in previous episodes, I think one of our, our episodes on dealing with objections to scripture and, you know, certain things that an atheist might look at scripture and say, that's evil. We've taught about the creature-creator sure. distinction. Right. Quick recap. God God can wipe out the Amalekites because he's God. We're not. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not God. God right. is God. Right. Understanding the distinctions between creature and creator, what that means. Yeah. Keeping us in our proper place. Yeah. Th- that means that, um, you know, God spoke the world into existence. Uh, God made me in his image. He created me in his likeness. That means that I do share in some of his attributes, 
But uh, there are these things called the incommunicable attributes of God uh, that he does not share with us, like the ability to create things ex nihilo, like the ability to speak blessings into existence. In the prosperity gospel, what you'll see is a lot of the language that they use about how we should participate with Jesus through this life. It's, it's language that assumes that we share more in common with the creator than we actually do. Right. Right. So... Uh, name it, claim it, speak it into existence. Uh, it assumes that you are a god, right? And that comes out of the Kenneth Copeland. Yeah. You are a god. So, so Kenneth Copeland and many others who have followed him would yeah. say that essentially we are spirit. That's right. Right. We are spirits who have a body. Yeah. And we have a soul, but we are spirit creatures, and in, yeah. in the very same way that the Father is spirit. Yeah. So. He is saying we are made of the same stuff. Yeah. You're little gods. And yeah. because you're little gods, you can harness that same power that mm-hmm. the creator has and speak things into existence. Yeah. And that is abominable heresy. Yeah. It is elevating man to a position that man has no right or claim or, or any authority to be elevated to. Yeah. And it is lowering God significantly from his place as the great I am yeah. to something much more like what we are. Yeah. And, and the, the real tragedy of, of this theology, uh, well, one aspect of the tragedy of this theology is that it, it utilizes the cross as a justification for this bad theology. And and so what, what they argue is, is that we, we, we've been these little gods the whole time, but after the fall and and all that stuff, we lost that power. Mm. But when Christ came and died on the cross, what he did was, he repurchased the right for you to walk as a God, to mm-hmm. be able to have these powers. You lost the dominion in Adam, but in Christ, you now have this God-like dominion. And so they make the cross of Christ uh, more about uh, you sort of having superpowers rather right. than God uh, atoning for our sin. Here's how we tend to see this in some prosperity churches. Uh, rather than directly saying, hey, you guys are little gods, right. very much what the Latter-day Saint Mormon religion would say. Sure. We see it as when Jesus came to earth, he was fully and totally man. He set aside his divinity and everything he did that was miraculous was done because the Holy Spirit indwelled him. Right. You have the Holy Spirit in you, mm-hmm. ergo, you should be able to do all these same miracles. Yeah. To that we say, no. No. <laughs> Yes, to that we definitely say no. Um, and, and just setting aside the false teaching that Jesus was no longer God right. walking the earth. Right, like, right, that's right. a huge right, right, right. problem and has historic roots as a heresy that go way back before Kenneth Copeland right. and Hagen and all those yeah. guys. Setting that aside, when you read your Bible and you make yourself into the Jesus of the Bible, when mm. you when you look at Jesus and say, oh yeah, I'm just like that. That's my model for how I can be expected to interact with creation. Yeah, That's a huge problem. Sure. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus in many ways is a model yeah. for how we should seek to treat others and, and obey God and, and worship him faithfully. But when we see ourselves as him and empowered to have dominion and, and and authority over creation, mm-hmm. the way Jesus calmed storms and cast out demons right. and manipulated nature and, and reality for his holy purposes. Yeah. That's not you. No, you're not God in the flesh. No. You know, when, uh, when we walk through the gospel of Mark together as a church for, uh, over a year, um, uh, about half of the way through, 
uh, give or take, you, you have the, the scene where Jesus is in the boat and he's calmed the storm and the disciples go, who is this man? Yeah. Right. And when I preached that sermon, I walked back through the first half of the gospel of Mark and we just looked at every time that Jesus did something and how everybody responded by going, who is this guy? Yeah. Only God can do these sorts of things. Right. Only God can cast out demons. Only God has control over sickness. Only God has control over the weather. Only God can forgive sins. Mm -hmm. Right. And so everywhere that Jesus went, the way that people responded to him was this guy's doing things that only God can do. And the prosperity gospel now inverts that and flips it on its head and says, well, yeah, if I'm in Christ, I can do everything that God does. And that's just simply not true. Correct. You, I mean, you can just look at the examples. I mean, the same apostle Paul who was able to heal people miraculously told his disciple, his beloved son, Timothy, hey, buddy, you having some tum-tum issues? Man, drink some wine. See if you can get some help for that. Yep. You know, I mean, uh, not uh, you are God. Right. Rebuke that stomach. Rebuke egg. it and claim your victory. Yeah. So yeah. again, we're going to get more into right, right, right. unpacking how scripturally all this stuff is false. Um, but look for that. Look for that language of the, you know, the same spirit that was in him is now in you and you can do what he did. But sure. Be on guard against that. Yeah. Okay. So, There's more that can be said there. Yes. But now we're going to talk about uh, full blown prosperity gospel versus prosperity gospel light. Why are we talking about this? Why are we making a distinction here? Uh, like we kind of mentioned earlier, there are the prosperity gospel is is it comes in different flavors. Yeah, it comes in different costumes, different Christian garb, and yeah. it comes in different emphases. Right. So a certain prosperity preacher may very bluntly claim that God wants him to have a million dollar jet. Right. And he wants you to give him money so he can get it. And if you give him money, you'll get blessed. A million dollar jet wouldn't be that good of a jet. Yeah, what is this, 1970? <laughs> Sorry. One million dollars. Yeah. Okay, so accounting for inflation, <laughs> right. a $60 million jet. There it is. Yeah. So uh, you have that end of the spectrum. Right. On the other side... Actually, let's, let's do this. Let's yeah, create okay. a spectrum on yep. the fly. On the one hand, you have Kenneth Copeland. Creflo Dollar. Creflo Dollar. Hagen. Hagen. Tammy Faye Baker. Tammy Faye Baker. All those. Big, big pink hair. Let, let's, let's do the middle of the spectrum. Okay. Uh, Joyce Meyer. Yeah. Joel Osteen. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still very much prosperity gospel, right? But but using language mm -hmm. that clouds the sure. intentions and the theology that's very clear with a guy sure. like Kenneth Copeland. Sure, sure, sure. And then down at the bottom end of the spectrum, so still, still prosperity gospel, still word of faith, still rooted in a lot of the same theology, but just much less obvious, but still there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd put... I'd put Elevation Church in there. Sure. And uh, we're just using them because they're the easiest they're example. Top of my brain. Right. Yeah. Um, I'd put I'd put a lot of the churches that are influenced by Bethel Redding in there. Yeah. I'd actually put Bethel Redding squarely and, into the prosperity yeah, camp. Yeah, me too. They'd be like middle to severe. Yeah, right. Yeah. But a lot of the churches that are influenced by Bethel. That's right. That like their philosophy of ministry and they don't really understand the connection. They dig the nose rings and the barefoot you know, worship, the barefoot leaders. worship music, yeah. and they just Confetti, like the songs, glory cloud. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, there is a an influence there yeah. through the theology, even in the music you're singing. Yep, Highlands Church. Highlands Church is a yeah. good example. Yeah. It starts to impart ideas that come directly from prosperity theology, sure. 
And you may not get the whole gamut. No. You may be sound in one area, and yet when your church talks about sickness yeah. and suffering, mm-hmm. suddenly you sound a whole lot like a prosperity preacher. Yeah, that's right. And that's that's actually where I think we would agree we see the greatest danger because the prosperity gospel is being imported into otherwise healthy churches yeah. in a costume of, in a garb of Christian, new age sort of modern worship. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and it's and so I think we would say that this lowest end of the spectrum is the most dangerous because it's uh, more difficult to recognize. And it's what Jude talks about when he says that certain men have crept in unnoticed. That's right. Uh, So that's talking about a specific local church, but that phenomena happens with theology all the time. Bad theology creeps in unnoticed. Uh, You know, one of our members of the church, one of the members of our church told me that he went and watched one of these guys, these prosperity gospel light guys, watched one of their sermons on Ephesians and he was like, yeah, man. Uh, I mean, it wasn't super deep and you know, he didn't handle the text the way I would have, but it didn't seem like it was too terrible. Uh, and then, you know, in the very next week, uh, a blog comes out about something incredibly heretical that he said, right? Right. Uh, one of the stories that I tell about this all the time is, uh, helping a pastor friend of mine prepare for a sermon. We read a whole bunch of different study Bibles. Mm -hmm. One of them that we had was the Joyce Meyer study Bible. We're reading through it, and I'm looking at her notes for the text, and I'm like, actually, that's not bad, Joyce. You know, like, oh, yeah, that's... I actually might want to come back to this (laughs) and include this in my sermon. Oh, there it is. There's a hair. But I had to to read through a couple of pages of notes before I came across it, and if I would have only referenced that in passing, I might not have thought anything of it. So so truth mixed with error. But, but like, you know, it's like... uh, Sprinkled in. Yeah, I mean, think about how much bleach does it take to make, uh, to to how much bleach does it take to put into a vat of water to make it so that when you drink it, it kills you. Well, and I think we're using some some funny illustrations here. Like this is a biblical concept, right? Right. right. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Oh, is that how that goes? I think so. Yeah. So the whole idea being, like, we hear people defend the the teachings of people who are on the prosperity light side by saying, well, you just, you know, you ignore the bad stuff. You keep the good stuff. It's okay. They're right. 99% of the time, but that's not how scripture talks about doctrinal error. Right. 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 God takes truth very seriously. And we see repeatedly like get all of that out of your church, cleanse yourself from it because as you said, it will creep in. It will infect your church. Let's take this and uh, remove it from the prosperity gospel and sort of plug it into another theological framework and run the same experiment. Okay. okay? Uh, You're at a church. The, the, uh, you know what? I'm your, I'm a pastor. I'm your pastor. Okay. We're co-pastors, but we know who's really in charge. Hey, I'm the, I'm the associate to the podcaster here, but you better believe in the church. A senior pastor. All right. Anyways, got that out of the way. No, no. So I, I, I do the primary. Uh, I, I, uh, you're gonna have to edit this. Goodness so gracious. So your your strengths are not public speaking. That's for sure. <laughs> I do ninety uh, percent of the public preaching and teaching in our church. Correct. Okay. If I'm preaching a sermon, ninety five percent good, or ninety nine percent good, but I make a statement in there that uh, you know Jesus wasn't really fully God. Right. But everything else that I said was really good. Yeah. Or let's just say, and remove it from one sermon, let's just say the vast majority of my teaching is super solid. I exegete the text really well. You've got a 4,000 word manuscript. Yeah. And only eight words are heresy. Right. 
it still ruins that right, sermon. Right, right. Exactly. That's like yeah. saying I wrote a really good review of that daycare, you know, 500 words, super positive review. And I yeah. only in one sentence said that they're pedophiles. Right. What's the big deal? Right, Why are right. you upset at my review? Yeah. Well, that you're confusing the quantity of good and bad yeah. for the powerful effect that one little bad thing can have. Yeah. And in the case of spiritual truths, we have to consider not just, well, how much is right and how much is wrong, but the danger, yeah. the effect that one false teaching can have on the spiritual health of your congregation. That's right. And we're, when we're talking about false teaching, we don't mean whether somebody's falsely teaching on the mode of baptism. We're talking right. about how we can be reconciled back to God. Yeah. Core right. gospel truths. We're at 20 minutes, so let's try to hit this last part pretty yeah. quickly. Prosperity and otherwise healthy churches. Okay. The point that we're trying to drive home here is this. Uh, you can be in an otherwise healthy church with have a strong statement of faith. Everybody in your church can agree with that statement of faith, but you live in America. You live in one of the wealthiest nations. No, you live in the wealthiest nation in all of human history. And if the heart of the prosperity gospel is primarily that you love gifts more than the giver, you shouldn't assume that just because your theological ducks are in a row, that you are not susceptible to this same kind of theology in practice mm -hmm. that you reject in theory. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, you gave a good example of this. Um, Sounds like something I would I'm do. not going to make you say it again. I'm going to give an example of this. Okay. So one way that I see this happen, and Catherine, my wife, has seen this happen, and I think it, it actually it, it captures what you said about communicating heresy in practice. Yeah. And that is churches who are so focused on saying positive, hopeful, pleasing things to their congregation yeah. to try and keep them spiritually pumped up and happy and coming to the church. Yeah. They avoid difficult doctrines mm -hmm. like sickness and suffering, right. glorifying God. Yeah. And so when they point to sickness in the congregation, they will very intentionally highlight that person who had a relatively mild form of cancer that was treated and cured and praise God, there's our success story. Let's take this brother or sister and bring them up and, you know, exalt God for curing this individual. Sure. And yet that person who's suffering from a chronic disease and has been for 10 years is totally ignored. Right. No hope in sight. They're probably not going to come up and give their testimony at a member's meeting. Exactly. And so like theologically, they may know that God can sovereignly use suffering for his good purposes. Sure. And yet they will never address that because it's difficult. Yeah. And so practically, what are they communicating? They're communicating yeah. that God will heal you. They're communicating that if you aren't receiving healing, well, somebody's not praying for you enough or you don't have enough faith or just something's wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you look at what they're saying in practice, it's that God is good and he heals always. Yeah. Always, yeah. Yeah, if you, uh, if you love your Jeep, so much that you are unwilling to give to your church to, pr to promote the gospel, maybe support missionaries. You, you, you may believe in the prosperity gospel without even realizing it. You know, if, uh, if, if you refuse to look suffering in the face, you know, to talk about it, you, you may believe in the prosperity gospel without even realizing it. And the, and the examples could be multiplied, mm -hmm. but that's probably good for today's episode. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, what's funny, man is, Talking through this episode, I think the series is probably going to have to be a lot longer than we thought it was going to be. That always happens. Yeah. So a couple episodes we do know we have planned. Sure. We want to talk about the history of prosperity theology. Yeah, how it developed. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be great. And the book recommendation for that one is going to be strong. Arguments, 
def- uh, refuting the prosperity gospel. Yeah, so we touched on this. We want to go through uh, and actually do an episode that you can share with your prosperity gospel friends, people yeah. who have bought into this theology, and basically walk through the strongest mm. arguments for that yeah. view and then go into the Bible and show how all of them are wrong. We're going to be uncharacteristically uh, charitable and kind in that episode. Yes. So if you want to see kind and charitable Sean and Russell, that'll so, be the episode. Yeah. Be prepared to share that one with your uh, friends, family, relatives, all that. That's right. All right. Well, book recommendation for today? Yeah, uh, I got a good one. The Word of Faith Controversy by Robert Bowman. This is a really good reference book for, uh, basically, if you want to know what Word of Faith theology is, the prosperity gospel theology, what are the basic tenets of what they believe? And along with that, where did it come from? Who are the who are the pastors and thinkers and and you know new age gurus that this all originated with? This is not a book you need to read cover to cover. This is a book you can keep on your shelf. And when something comes up and you don't really know how to address it, open it up, hit the table of contents, and go to that section. And there's a whole history of the the doctrine and the development of it right there at your fingertips. There it is. Good book. We'll have this link in the episode description. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yep. As always, uh, follow us on iTunes. If you want to uh, see the video of this, if you are on iTunes, you can see us on Facebook and YouTube. We have the video so you can watch us gesticulate. And masticate. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. We love you.